Well, good morning and welcome to Park Christian Community Church on this beautiful Sunday morning on the Memorial Day weekend. Let me make one quick announcement. Well, let me read from the psalmist first. David writes in Psalm 9, I will praise you, O Lord, with all of my heart, and I will tell of your wonders. Amen. That's what worship is all about. One quick announcement, and it is an important one. Next Sunday morning, right after the morning worship service, we will have a congregational meeting, and we will be uh, approving the new diaconate and elders for the coming year. So that'll be next Sunday, immediately after the morning worship service, and it should just be a very brief meeting, and I hope that you'll plan to stay around for just a minute or two for that. I'm going to ask Doug to come and open us up in a word of prayer. Good morning. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we begin this morning by giving you thanks. Your love endures forever. It never fails. Though there are many ways in which we have failed, we take comfort in that we can come to you today and tell you our burdens and ask for forgiveness. You are the God of peace and bring compassion to our lives. We know that our transgressions have not exceeded your supply of love, mercy, and grace. We come to rightfully praise and worship you as our creator and send in your son, Jesus Christ, to be our Lord and Savior. As we think of your unfailing, eternal, enduring love, we look forward to the day when we will worship you in eternity. Let us never forget the good things that you do for us. We thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. As we open the Bible today and listen to Pastor Scott's message, we pray that we would hear your voice. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work, opening our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word. We ask that you bless our service and what we do is pleasing to you. May we be transformed into your likeness this morning. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. I'd like to uh, welcome Phyllis Beck for filling in uh, at the organ for us this morning. Uh, We're grateful to have you back, Phyllis. Um, Let us stand as we sing, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name.
Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the end of Genesis 1, where God, having created everything, has finalized his creation with the creation of us, of human beings, put there to take care of the creation for him. Please read these words with me from Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. And if you're wondering, there are actually two hymns entitled, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. And the one that was up here is the one I prefer. I like it one best, but it's not the one that we were singing this morning. But that's okay. It's still a great hymn. (laughs) Let me mention a couple of... uh, By the way, this is Memorial Weekend. And uh, on Memorial Weekend, one of the things I always do is I always mention who it is that we pray for when we talk about our military. Uh, We pray for Omar Silva, and that is Juanita Herrera's brother. Sean Carnes is Janet Janet Bishop's nephew. Colin Graves is Brian and Joyce Brooks' son-in-law. Abner Mauricio is Vicenta Herrera's nephew. Joshua Davis is Deborah Oxford's grandson. Tyler McCarty Cogis is Glenda Burgess's nephew. Nathan and Colby Hayes are Moretta Torrance's grandsons. Devin Guzman is my nephew. Matilda Pritchett is Ken and Det Jenkins' grandson. And Jason Maxey um, is Ken and Det's uh, grandson. I think Matilda is their granddaughter, my mistake, sorry. But that's who we pray for every Sunday as these men and women serve in our military. And we're so thankful for their service. Prayer requests. We want to continue to pray. I got Mar- uh, William, I got you on the prayer list today, but you're here. And we're glad to see you this morning. Amen. <laughs> Amen for that. Uh, Rudy Martinez is at Christian Care now and going through his rehab and continue to pray for him. Joan Williams' husband, Richard, is on hospice. Uh, Det Jenkins was in the hospital uh, this week. She's... Uh, most have come home, scheduled to have come home yesterday. And then Bill Guzzi is at uh, Veterans Hospital. Uh, pray for Bill. He's uh, having some um, physical struggles right now. And so pray for Bill and for Glenda. And for those in our senior living facilities are Flo Smith, Winona Anderson, Lorraine Bellringer, Tony Myrick. And our homebound members are Dudley Perry, Cindy Bellmeyer, and of course Bill Guzzi is now at the Veterans Hospital here in Dallas. Let's pray. Yes. And it's good to see Larry Ingram. I did see Larry come in 
this morning. We're glad to see Larry this morning as well. A lot of answered prayer, really. We're so thankful. God is a God who hears and answers our prayers. Let's pray. Father, we come to sing your praises because we have a new song in our hearts. Many are the wonders that you've done for us. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. This morning we bow our heads and we humble our hearts because we understand that it is only by your grace that we are saved. And we confess that we are sinners and we embrace your grace. We trust in the work of Christ because it's not our works that save us. It's the work that Christ has done for us on the cross. Father, we do. We do trust in you. You are the great physician. You're the healer. And I know sometimes physical ailments can be very discouraging. And, and Father, we, we pray that you'll encourage their hearts. But today we lift up each one of these individuals that we've mentioned today. You know their need. And you know, Father, where they are um, in the need of healing. Father, we do pray for the men and women who serve our country and our military. We pray for Omar Silva, Sean Carnes, Colin Graves, Abner Mauricio, Tyler McCarty Cogis, Joshua Davis, Nathan Hayes, Colby Hayes, Devin Guzman, Matilda Pritchett, and Jason Maxey. And Father, we do pray for all of our police officers, our firefighters, and others who keep our community safe. We pray, Father, for those who are living in Uvalde. We especially lift up the parents and our brothers and sisters in Christ who have suffered from this terrible tragedy. Father, our prayer is that your comfort and your peace would just wash over them at this very, very tragic time. And Father, we pray for our country. We are a divided country, and we pray, Father, that you'll be with our president and our Congress and our justices of the courts in giving them wisdom in bringing our nation and leading us in the right direction. Father, we've gathered here to meet with you. We've come to know your purpose, to remember your promises, to experience your goodness, and to embrace your wonderful grace. So help us to be mindful, Father, that we're here to worship you. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Yes. That's a good point, Jack. You bet. Let's all stand for a moment and uh, let me just um, give a prayer and then we'll take a moment of silence with that. Thank you, Jack. Father, we are thankful for those who gave the ultimate price in defending our freedoms. We're thankful for their commitment and their families. We lift them up, their families today, Father. Bring them comfort in a time like this.
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Let us join together now in singing our communion hymn, Blessed Assurance, stanzas one and two only. The communion scripture is from John chapter 6, verses 33 through 35. And Jesus is talking uh, at the start on, on verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the bread of life that has been given to us. We're thankful for your son Jesus that shed his blood on the cross for our sins so that we may have eternal life and abide with you. And Father, bless us as we partake of these emblems in the remembrance of of those things that Christ did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, 
in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us now stand as we sing our worship and song, More About Jesus, stanzas 1, 2, and 4.
Our offertory scripture this morning is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter, 5, verses, chapter 15, verse 10. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. Let us pray. Father, this congregation has truly been blessed. And Father, we ask that you bless these tithes and offerings as they are given. uh, And may we use them to further your kingdom and support your work. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture reading this morning will come from the Gospel of Mark and will be in chapter 12. It is page 718 in the Pew Bible. 718 in the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 12, and we're going to begin at verse 13 and work our way through verse number 27. Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and they said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the word of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So they brought him the coin. And he asked them, whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, they came to him with a question. Teacher, they asked or said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, and he also died leaving no child. 
it was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. So at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since the seven were married to her. And Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising? Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And you are badly mistaken. Let's pray. Father, as we work our way through this incredible passage, I pray that uh, our hearts will be open. And may we learn that uh, in times, all times, we can always trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we trust the Lord? Can we trust the Lord? You know, I think we all want to trust Him. And when life is good, it's easy to trust Him. But when we're going through adversity, when times are difficult, in times of tragedy, it's not always easy to trust the Lord. I guess I'm thinking about Uvalde this week, and I think most of us have. You know, in a tragedy like that, we, that's when we begin to ask ourselves questions like, can we trust the Lord in that kind of a tragedy? A, a, a tragedy of that scale. And can, can the parents trust the Lord through something like this? How can we trust the Lord? And how can we know that we can trust Him? And let me say something about trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord is not a feeling. It is a choice. Trusting the Lord is choosing to follow after Him regardless of the adversity or the tragedy that we may be going through. And Jesus is going to help us with this in today's passage. You know, we're continuing our study in the life of Christ. And today we're actually coming to the uh, we're in to Wednesday of Passion Week, which is just two days before the crucifixion, and in today's passage, the um, the animosity that the religious leaders have towards Jesus is going to escalate to a whole new level, and um, they're getting desperate. They want to entrap him and get rid of him in some way or fashion, and so the religious establishment, the the religious leaders are. They're going to come to him and present two questions. And they're trick questions. Designed to make Jesus look foolish or to make... Or really, they're designed to trip him up in some way. But from the answers that Jesus will give them, we learn two very important truths that are so relevant for us today. We're going to look at... First of all, we're going to look at our responsibility in life. And here our responsibility is we are to entrust our whole being, who we are, to the Lord. And then we're going to look at our relationships in heaven and the afterlife or in heaven. And in that we're going to see why it is we really can trust the Lord 
through every circumstance that we go through in life. So let's take a look. First of all, let's look at our responsibility in this life, which is to entrust ourselves to the Lord. Now the passage begins by telling us that uh, later they sent, and they being the uh, religious establishment, uh, the Sanhedrin, which is made up of 70 religious leaders, composed of Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, or teachers of the law. And this group has decided we're going to set a delegation of, real, of Pharisees first to ask Jesus a trick question with the hopes that we can maybe get him to say something that will incriminate him. Now, what's interesting about this delegation of Pharisees is that it also includes Herodians. Now, you talk about a strange alignment or a rather strange alliance. Uh, This is it. You have the Pharisees are on one end of the spectrum. For example, they, they despise Rome. They despise Roman occupation. They despise Roman taxation. And they despise the face of Rome who is Herod the king. On the other hand, you have the Herodians. And their name tells you a lot about who they are. They are, they are King Herod's fan club. They love Rome. They embrace Roman taxation. They embrace Roman occupation. And they embrace Herod. Now you explain to me how these two groups on opposite ends of the spectrum, one group, in, is uh, is pro-Israel, the other group is pro-Rome. How can you get two groups of people who are literally enemies with each other, how do you get them to come together? Well, they both have a common enemy. And that enemy is Jesus. You know, there's an old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And that's what we have here. And so they come to Jesus and they have a question for him. And by the way, notice, notice how they patronize Jesus. Did you see this? It says, they came to him and said, Teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. Now let me say this, first of all. They are gritting their teeth as they start saying these things, all right? Now, it's, it's ironic because what they will say about Jesus is true. They are 100% accurate. That's the irony in this. But they, they are gritting their teeth As they say this, we know you're a man of integrity. You are swayed by, you are, you are not swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. You teach the way of God in accordance to the truth. Let me, they are disingenuous at the best and they don't mean a word of it. But their question, this question is very clever. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? I mean, that, that appears to put Jesus on the horns of a dilemma. Because if Jesus says, yes, pay your taxes to Caesar, then the Pharisees are going to go to the people and inform the people Jesus cannot be the Messiah. He is supporting the foreign government of Rome. He is not your Messiah. But if Jesus says, no, don't pay your taxes, the Herodians will go to King Herod and say, you have a problem. You've got an insurrectionist on your hands, and his name is Jesus. And so Jesus, though, he, he is on to their hypocrisy. He's on to their little game. 
And so he asked them for a Roman coin, a denarius. And on this Roman coin, of course, like our coins, quarters and nickels, they have an imprint on them. Ours has presidents, but theirs had Caesar on them. In fact, it had Tiberius, who was the Caesar at that time. And there was an inscription on that coin. And it didn't say, in God we trust, okay? It said, basically, in Tiberius we trust. It said, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. In other words, Caesar was always looked upon as a god. And so they bring the coin to the... uh, Jesus asked them for a coin. They bring it to him. And he asked them, whose portrait? Now, the word portrait there is really the word image. Whose image is on that coin? And, of course, they reply, it is Caesar's. And that's where Jesus gives this incredible response. Then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to God. In other words, you give to Caesar what has his image on it. But you give to God what has his image on it. That's a great answer. I mean, uh, a very, very profound answer here. Um, and it has some profound significance for us. Let's, let's take, first of all, the part about giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. As Christians, we are obligated to pay our taxes. We benefit from our government, from our military, to our police officers, firefighters. We pay our taxes to support our local and our federal government. And in fact, the Apostle Paul put it this way. And this is Romans 13.1. And he's writing to the Christians in Rome. And believe me, the Roman government was not kind to Christians in Rome, okay? And here's what he says to the Christians in Rome. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except that which God established. Romans 13.1 You see, God established two things. He established the state and he established the church. And God is over both. The church and the state are under God's authority. In fact, in our Pledge of Allegiance, it says in our Pledge of Allegiance, we are one nation under God, indivisible, right? I wish our politicians understood that a little bit more, but that's what we are. We are one nation. We are under God. We recognize that the church and the state are under God. Now, we pay our taxes. Even though the government may be a bureaucracy of ineptness, our government may be a bastion of fraud and deception, our government may be spending our money in ways we disagree with, we still have an obligation to pay our taxes. Now, I did hear about one gentleman who wrote a letter to the IRS. And in the letter, he said, Dear Sir, he said, My conscience is bothering me because I owe some back taxes. So here's a check for $175 for the back taxes that I owe. And then he signs his name. And then P.S. at the bottom, he says, and if my conscience continues to bother me, I'll send the rest. Well, well, we, we do 
as Christians, have an obligation to pay our taxes. Now, that doesn't mean we have to agree with what what a tax rate is. In fact, in November, we need to be at the ballot box and letting our voice be known about what we think about the taxation that's going on. But let's get to what really counts here. We have an even higher obligation. And that is a higher responsibility to God. And Jesus says we are to render unto God that which is God's. Or what has God's image on it that we are to give him? What has God's image on it? We do. Every one of us was created in the image of God. We read that earlier. Uh, Genesis 1.27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. You see what Jesus is saying? He is saying that you and I are created in the image of God. And in fact, God's image is stamped all over us. We're God's coins. We came out of his mint with, our, with his image stamped on us. And what Jesus is saying here is that we have a responsibility because we are stamped with God's image that we are to give our lives to him. Our talents, our skills, our education, our creativity, everything about us, it all belongs to him because his image is stamped on us. And that's the struggle, isn't it? Because within all of us is this, we have within us this natural desire to govern ourselves. We naturally want to say, it's my life. And I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. And I'm going to be the captain of my soul. I'm the captain of whom I am, of who I am. But, but there's a problem with that. The problem with being autonomous like that is that we think it through all the way to the end. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. And if we follow that through, when we come to the end of our life, our life will have had no purpose and no meaning. And that is because only the Creator Himself, only God, in whose image we are created, only God can give life purpose and give life meaning. I came across a story this week about a gentleman. His name was Don McKinnon. He lives outside of Washington, D.C. And um, he felt that God had given to him certain skills and talents. And so he began teaching a, a sixth grade Sunday school class for boys. And every class, at the end of the class, he would always say, to, say this to the boys. He would say, be a man of God. It's the only way to go. Be a man of God. It's the only way to go. Well, one Sunday morning, at the end of class, he closed in prayer. And all the boys, they just sat there. And he looked at them, and they just sat there. And finally, one of them said, Mr. McKinnon, you forgot to say something. Be a man of God. It's the only way to go. Well, the story is, as I began to read it, one little boy in the class... He was, he was the biggest cut up in the school. He made D's and D minuses and even some F's. And he was, a, he was a challenge. The teachers didn't know how to handle him. The school counselors didn't know how to handle him. And it was a struggle. But then one day, I mean, all of a sudden, this boy, this 
sixth grade boy makes a 180 degree turn. He's respectful. He is uh, making, paying attention. He's making A's and B's. And finally the teacher, after a couple of weeks, finally asked him, what happened? And he says to the teacher, he said, I'm going to church. And my Sunday school teacher urges me to be a man of God. It's the only way to go. That's what we mean when, I think that's what Jesus means when he says, you were created in the image of God. Give what God has, give those talents, those skills, give that to God. Because you belong to him. Give to God that which bears his image. And so we do, we, we entrust our lives into his care. Now, that spar with the uh, Pharisees ends with, they were very amazed at him. They were amazed. Now, let's look at the second part of this passage. And in the second part, we're going to look at the relationship uh, in, the, uh, in heaven or the afterlife. And here we're going to see why it is we can trust the Lord. In the next scene, it is now the Sadducees' turn to come. And they approach Jesus. And in this passage, uh, we're going to find out who we are going to be married to when we get to heaven. I'm sure that's something you're always interested in. Who am I going to be married to when I get to heaven? Now, Jesus spoke a lot about heaven. He spoke with confidence about heaven. And um, in this conversation with the Sadducees, he's going to give us a little bit of glimpse into what heaven's going to be like. Now, let me say a couple things about the Sadducees so we kind of understand where they're coming from in this rather unusual question they're asking. The Sadducees were um, highly educated, uh, very wealthy people, and they really had a, a monopoly over the priesthood. They were the ones who oversaw the temple and the temple worship. And um, they, um, they, how would you say, they believed in God, but they believed in a very watered-down version of God, a very non-supernatural version of God, which is interesting, being the priest, but they did. For example, they did not believe in angels. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in the afterlife or heaven. They believed that this is all there is, and we are just simply to live a good life. They also did not, they also believed that only the books that Moses wrote were the Word of God. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the only books that are the Word of God, and all the others, the poems, the prophets, all of the other books, are not God's word. So, again, they had a rather watered-down understanding of God. Now, it's the Sadducees who come to Jesus, and they ask him this question uh, that's designed, really, to kind of mock the idea of a resurrection. And so the Sadducees say, uh, taking, picking up in verse 19, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children with his brother. All right, let's stop here for a second. This is found in Deuteronomy chapter 25. That's what they're referring to. In ancient times, they did not have social security or things like that. And so if a young woman marries a young man, 
but he dies and they have no children, that really left her in a lurch because uh, the chances of her finding another young husband is very, very slim. Uh, Young men don't want to marry someone who's been married before. And as she gets older, she'll have nobody to take care of her. She'll She'll have no children. So God commanded what we call leveret marriage. Now, leveret has nothing to do with the Levites, all right? Leveret comes from the Latin word lavir, or lavir, lavir, and it simply means husband's brother. That's the Latin word, a husband's brother. And here's the way God designed it. And it was very a very merciful way of making sure that widows were taken care of. If a young bride's husband dies, they have no children, it was the responsibility of the next son in line to marry her. That's why you're, if you're one of the younger brothers, you always want to have a voice in who your older brother's marrying, you know. You just never know, just in case. So that's the way it was. It was God's way of ensuring that widows would be taken care of. And so here they come to Jesus with this question. In a rather ridiculous scenario of seven brothers all marrying the same woman and none of them having children. And then, of course, whose wife will she be when you get to heaven? You know, it's kind of like, you know, you know, a couple of guys arguing up in heaven. Well, she's my wife. No, she's my wife. Well, why do you say she's your wife? Well, because I was married to her first. Well, she's my wife. I was married to her longer. You know, that kind of an argument going on. No, listen, Jesus says, well, take a look. Jesus is going to show the flaw in their argument because their premise, their major premise is wrong. Their major premise is wrong and their, their, their conclusion is wrong. Their premise is wrong because they do not know the scriptures. Take a look at verse number, actually it's verse number 24. Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? You see, two things. They misunderstand the scriptures and they underestimate the power of God. Now let's look at how it, how it is it that, how do they misunderstand the scriptures? Jesus is going to present a solid scripturally based case for the resurrection and the afterlife or heaven. And he's going to do it by quoting from the Old Testament, not from the Psalms and not from the prophets. He's going to quote from the book of Moses, one of the books of Moses. He's going to quote from Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 6. And Jesus is going to show them that life after death is even taught in the books of Moses. Picking it up now, verse number 25. Now about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses? Remember, they don't, they believe that the books of Moses are the ones that are the word of God. So he's taking them right to their home court. In the book of Moses, in the account of the bush. What's, what bush is he talking about? The burning bush. Alright. In the account where God comes to Moses in the burning bush. God says to, says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And you are badly mistaken. (laughs) You know, Jesus begins his discussion with them saying, you are in error, and then he ends it by saying, you are badly mistaken. About what? About the resurrection? 
about heaven, about life after death. You're mistaken about all of that. When when God says, I am the God of Abraham, and I am the God of Jacob, I am the God of Isaac, he is speaking of them in the present tense. They are very much alive. He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham when he was alive. No, I am the God of Abraham. Abraham is, is very much alive in heaven. Now that's important. What he is saying to us is that God has such a close, couple things here. Let me mention this. God has such a close and personal relationship with, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that, that God is actually using, um, possessive pronouns. Uh, I am Abraham's God. I'm Jacob's God. I am Isaac's God. In other words, I have such a close relationship, relationship to them that I am their God and, and, uh, I am, and they are my children, so to speak. Let me try to explain it this way. If I were to, if I were to introduce, I would say, I want you to, I want you to meet Debbie. Alright? Well, that might be somebody that I have an acquaintance with or a friend. But if I were to say, this is my Debbie. Does that change it a little bit? It changes it significantly. It says that I have a very close, very personal relationship because this is my Debbie. That's what I'm saying. This is my wife. We use possessive pronouns like that only of people that we are closely and intimately related to. And when God says, I am Abraham's God, Abraham. And Abraham could say, this is my God. Think of it this way. That's why we can say, Jesus is my Savior. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my light and my salvation. We have this incredible relationship with God that is personal and it is close and it is intimate. And not only that, not only that, think about this. It is is a relationship that is always in the present tense. God says of Abraham, I am the God of Abraham. Not I was. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. And that is a present tense regardless of whether we're here on earth or whether we're with him in heaven. You know, when you really love somebody, You always want that relationship to be in the present tense. For example, I have a a daughter. I never want to say, I had a daughter. You know what I mean? I have a daughter. I have a wife. Or you could say, I have a son. I have a husband. We want to be able to say, I have, in the present tense. When God says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. He is saying, I, my relationship with you is in the present tense. It, it never ended. It's, it's still there. God's relationship with us is always here because God loves us. and he, God loves us and he will never let our relationship ever become a past tense relationship. It will always be, I am your God. And Jesus is my Savior. 
He, is, he was my Savior. He is my Savior. You see, when God wraps His long, His strong, loving arms around us, he, does, he doesn't let go. He never lets go. Now, He does give us a rather incredible description of heaven here in this verse. And I think we need to cover it for just a minute. Jesus says, You are in error because you do not know the Scripture or the power of God. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels. Think about that one. By the way, the Sadducees, not only do they not believe in the resurrection, they don't believe in angels either. Jesus said, oh yeah, there are angels. And when we get to heaven, we'll be like the angels. So, um, think about that one for a minute. No marriage in heaven. Does that excite you? I mean, for some, it kind of makes heaven a little more appealing, I guess. Um, I mean, I'm looking at it thinking, think how, less, think how less complicated heaven will be without marriage, right? Think how less conflict there will be in heaven without marriage. Instead of being a husband and wife, we'll be friends. We'll be friends. Now, don't, don't misunderstand, okay? Don't misunderstand, all right? When God says there will be no marriage in heaven, he is not suggesting that there won't be this incredible love that we enjoy between a husband and wife in heaven. What he is saying is that the love that we have in a marriage relationship, doesn't, he doesn't even begin to compare to the love that we will have for one another when we get to heaven. The love that we will have in heaven will be the kind of love that Christ has for us. It will be a genuine, authentic love, the kind of love that God has for us. Heaven will always be a place where we are with the people we love to be with. Kind of, kind of think of it this way. Think of back, what, back when you had teenagers, all right? And uh, you're sitting at home and suddenly your teenager starts to go out the door. And you say, where are you going? You know what they always at least my girls said going out we're going out well where are you going I mean uh, does this place have a name does it have an address where are you going no we're just going out no no destination no plans no we're just going out (laughs) you know it doesn't matter where you're going for them it only mattered with whom they were going you know what I mean um I mean, who needs a destination when you got friends? And, and that's kind of the way I think heaven is going to be like. It's a place where we're always with those that we love to be with. It's, it's a place where we will be with those that love to be with us and we love to be with them. So let's think about this for a minute, all right? Think about the impact this is going to have on us when we think about it. We have a relationship with God that is so close and so personal that we use possessive pronouns. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is my savior. And it's always in the present tense. It is a relationship that never ends. It's always in the present tense. And to me what that means is we can face anything knowing that we are, we are forever in God's love. We can endure anything knowing that we are forever in God's love. We can overcome anything knowing that we are forever in God's love. You know, 
I've been watching some of the news this week and listening to some of the parents and what they've been saying in Uvalde. And I have been blessed because many of them have expressed that they are finding comfort, they are finding peace, and they are finding strength in their faith. One woman, her name was Irma Fuentes, she said, she, she tells about how inconsolable she was when this happened. And she said, but when I walked into church, I just sensed the peace and the comfort and the presence of God. Can we trust the Lord in tragedies of that scale? Can we continue to follow him? I say yes. Why? Because we know that we are forever in God's love. His love is always in the present tense. And he is always going to be my savior, my shepherd, always in the present tense. So here's what I think we can take home with us today. We can trust the Lord. We can trust the Lord with our life because he's trustworthy for all of eternity. We can trust the Lord. We can entrust everything to the Lord because he is trustworthy all through eternity. But you know, if you don't have a faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've got nothing to fall back on in a tragedy like this. It is only the Lord that gets us through these things. It is following him that we find our peace and our comfort and our strength in the adversities of life. And life is filled with a lot of ups and downs. Life is very unpredictable. But it is, our, it is our trust in the Lord that is steady and gets, it through it, gets us through it. I pray that you know the Lord today and your trust is with him. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful again for your word that assures us that in every circumstance of life, here and forever, that you love us, your love for us is ever present in the present tense and And will never end. And thank you, Father, for that. And Father, I pray if there's someone here today who's never come to faith in Christ, I pray that today will be that day when they turn their life over to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand as we sing our hymn of invitation. Only trust him. Oh,
If you're uh, visiting with us, we're glad you're here today. And if you have any prayer requests or any needs, be sure to meet with me. I'll be up front and we have our elders as well. Feel free to come up and talk with us and pray with us. Let's pray together in closing. Father, we're thankful again for this great Lord's Day when we can gather here and praise your name, sing to you, and hear your word, and go, Father, to share the gospel with others. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.